When Kate was in grade six, she was preoccupied with body hair, and she wrote about it in her journal. March 9th, 1990. <clears throat> Mom said I could start shaving my armpits. <laughs> March 19th, 1990. I did it. I shaved my armpits. Monday, April 9th. Today at school, George asked Femi, Jonathan, Peter, and Daniel if they had hair on their dick. (laughs) I have absolutely no idea what they said. That's Kate reading from her grade six journal. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This, right now, is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Montreal, we have an after-school emergency, a trip to TV land, a very pious blood cell, and much, much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and by looking back at who we were, it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You know that thing that happens in movies sometimes where a character will say the name of the movie in the movie? There's a name for that. They call it a title drop. And when our next reader, Natalie, was 16, she wrote a short story that included many title drops. It's a story called If I Only Lived in TV Land. And in it, Natalie included dozens of TV show names from the 60s all the way up to the 90s. And if you listen closely, you might be able to pick up on all of them. A quick heads up, Natalie includes a cuss word in this story, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up. Here's Natalie. If I only lived in TV land. 227. My address. I'm still not used to it. For the longest time, my folks, my brothers, my sister Ellen, the nanny Roseanne and myself lived at 77 Sunset Strip, just off Route 66. (laughs) We're not linked by strong family ties, so I knew that moving just outside of Dallas would be a quantum leap for me. This little house on the prairie is far different from the big city. This whole thing was dad's idea. Father knows best, right? I hate it here. It's a different world. And besides, I have no friends. The other day, me and the boys, my brothers, Jake and the fat man, actually, actually his name's Fraser, but he eats a lot of chips and stuff. That's why I call him the fat man, went to the zoo. We visited the monkeys and the partridge family next to the Colombo stand. I thought it was really boring, but my brothers enjoyed it. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. So we took a taxi and went home. I hate using that word. It's not home here. And my so-called life consists of studying the Webster to expand my vocabulary. No wonder I graduated at the head of the class. 
Life goes on. That's what my mom keeps telling me. My mother's a fucking nutcase. She hangs out at a club at church called the Golden Girls. Plus, she's convinced she's been touched by an angel. My mother, the saint. Anyways, she's gone bizarre since we've moved. She now supports marrying your own cousin. She claims it's all in the family and safer that way. According to me, people here are all too close for comfort. Sometimes I think these problems I'm having are growing pains. Things were better before. I'd crank up WKRP in Cincinnati for a little news radio, and I'd listen to my favorite songs. Those were happy days for me. Now I need help. My head's in dire need of a little home improvement. I should check myself into Peyton Place. It's a home for depressed individuals. And upon completion of the program, they take you on this corny cruise they call the love boat. <laughs> Then they make you love yourself. Like you can make somebody love themselves. So in my case, I would prance around the ship like an idiot saying, my name's Lucy and I love Lucy. <laughs> I'm outside now. I'm rarely inside because it's a full house, you know. <laughs> Just thinking about my dad. I hate my dad. He patrols around car 54 like a hotshot, but he's nothing. He didn't even prevent Jeannie's death. Jeannie was our first babysitter. I really loved her. She was sort of psychic, and being around her was like entering the twilight zone. <laughs> One day, she grabbed a pen and started scribbling. It was murder, she wrote. <laughs> For pages on end. These episodes never scared her, though. Grace under fire, you know? Anyways, she had informed Dad that some psycho sporting a Beverly Hills 9021 open was following her. Dad said he'd help. He lied. One weekend, while Dad was on a Sequest sea hunt trip, Jeannie was murdered. A nun found her dying in the street. Sometimes I dream of Jeannie. And I think her death could have been prevented had my lazy-ass dad done something. What hurts most is that I never even said goodbye or told her how much I cared. And I guess that's why I'm so screwed up. I've been cheated of a normal life, so maybe I should end the one I've got. Maybe. Thank you. <laughs> That took an unexpectedly dark turn about halfway through. When Rianne was in elementary school, she kept a journal. And as you'll hear, she spent a lot of time reflecting on the nature of love. Please welcome Rianne to our stage. Love is not like mad love in days. Love is a nice thing. Kissing is not love. Kissing is a thing you get from mad men. It continues, horses are a nice thing to love. On and on, for a horse is a good thing. So do you like my song or not? <laughs> and uh, this is continued in a journal I used from maybe first grade until fifth grade. And it stuck out to me because most of this journal is about the deaths of my hermit crabs, <laughs> except for this entry. <laughs> 
but for context, Ethan was a friend that I'd had for a few years. Today, I went over to Ethan's house, and it was a dream and a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, first we ate cheesy popcorn. He showed me his posters of planes. He knows a lot about planes. Uh, but I hate, hate, hate his sister, Chloe. She is the worst. So annoying. She kept hiding under his bed, yelling that I was his girlfriend. I didn't know I was his girlfriend. I'm not. Or maybe I am. Ethan told me he loved me, like on a date, and I, I said I would think about it. <laughs> then we played in the yard. Then we looked for his mom, but she was not there. And then we looked for his dad, but he was not there. We were alone. Help. Oh no, oh no. I got really, really scared. So I told Ethan, come on if you want to live. And we ran around the house and screamed. And I cried. And I found a bug, a really big bug. After that, we went to the neighbor's house. She was old. Oh, well. And when she took us outside again, Ethan's mom and dad were there. And they said they got mixed up. Well, I am mixed up. And I cried again. And Ethan's dad let us help put the grass seed on the yard. And Chloe, the horrible, threw it in my eyes. <laughs> what a bad and good day. I ate a lot of popcorn. Ethan, who I love, maybe, says on our next date, he will show me how to make paper planes that fly higher than his kite, which is purple. Okay. But I will not be his girlfriend. He was useless during the disaster. <laughs> and anyway, I do not love him, and we can never have a baby because he would forget it in the yard. <laughs> Ethan sounds like quite a catch. <laughs> when Jeffrey was in elementary school, he liked to write short stories. And at our Montreal show, we got to hear a couple selections, starting with The Mystery of the Lost Brain Cell. Hello, my name is Harry. I'm a brain cell. I can't find my way to this guy's brain. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, here comes my friend Joey, the hormone. <laughs> I'll ask him to help. Hey, Joey, where's this guy's brain? I don't know, Harry, but you can get a map from Bill, the left lung. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. And so Harry walked over to Bill and said, Bill, got any maps? Yes, said Bill, at $8 each. <laughs> I got $7.99, exclaimed Harry. Tough luck, kid. <laughs> oh, molecules, said Harry. <laughs> and he continued on with his journey. After three days of endless walking, his tiny legs got tired and he rested near a blood cell synagogue. <laughs> he was awakened by a tap on his shoulder. Want to pray? Asked a red blood cell named Plasma Pray-A-Lot. 
No thanks, I'm not a blood cell, answered Harry. It's free, said Plasma. Then let's go, exclaimed Harry. After two and a half hours of praying, Harry said to the rabbi, I want to convert to a red blood cell. Won't your parents be worried, asked Plasma. Got a phone, asked Harry. Yeah, I'll call them. And so Harry converted to a red blood cell and prayed happily ever after. Religious blood cells were not the only thing Jeffrey wrote about. He also brought along another short story, a kind of fictionalized biography written from the perspective of a very famous athlete. It's the, uh, something called Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Life. Uh, basketball star from the 1980s if you're young and don't like sports. Um, and on this one, uh, it's a, I think it's a first draft, and uh, on each page I wrote two words and I circled them individually. And the two words that I wrote on each page and circled are important and publish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was a premature little me, only five foot seven. My brother was 14 foot, and he was two years old. Shorty. Mommy was 86 foot four. Daddy, 98 foot three. I never went to elementary school. Too big for it. I had to go to high school. I skipped CJEP. Jumped right over it. <laughs> College was never a problem. I had classes in the gym. <laughs> then I was in the real world. I tried a few jobs that didn't work, like a pizza maker. Only I tossed the pizzas too high. I got fired in three pizzas. The next job I tried was a dishwasher, but let's not get into that. (laughs) My wife was Donna Rice. I got divorced because I could never find her, and besides, she was fooling around with Gary Hart. (laughs) Then I got involved in the underworld. Only on my application form, I misspelled underworld. Next thing I knew, I was in the underwear business. I stayed in that for a few years, and then I decided I'd better move on. So far, my life was a total waste. I was 44 and unemployed, so I did the only thing I could do. I became a basketball player, and my mom disowned me. That's about where I got up to in my life. One more thing. I'm Jewish. Thank you. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
price. Go to your happy price, price line. Sometimes kids are wise beyond their years, or they seem to have a surprising level of self-awareness. When her next reader, Frederique, signed up to read, she told me she experienced a lot of loneliness growing up. And at our Montreal show, she shared two very short pieces of writing, a journal entry and a poem. And these both reflect on that loneliness she felt. Live on stage, here's Frederic, starting with her journal entry. Tomorrow, she will wake up the same and will live her day as she learned, hiding her feelings. She will continue to live, but she will continue to be seen as a bad girl. She will try hard, but nothing will change. Her hopes will slowly kill her because they will never come true. Then, in the dark, she will cry again before she goes to sleep, and the cycle will continue until someone saves her. If someone saves her. <laughs> and then the poem is called uh, Love Hate. Even in the midst of happiness, loneliness creeps in. As a thief, it lurks around, uninvited and unexpected. Suddenly, the creeper jumps on you and attacks you viciously. You may be able to escape, but you will always feel its presence right behind you, creeping, waiting. But sometimes something magical happens. Loneliness comes slowly and wraps you with tender arms. It's like a warm tea warming you up inside. Loneliness doesn't always hurt. Sometimes it offers you the opportunity to become your own best friend. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to share these two pieces in particular because uh, I've never really felt at ease to do so with people I know. So it was the perfect setup for me to talk about it in front of strangers. So it's like one step forward to learn how to uh, embrace it. I do recognize myself in a, a lot in uh, those two pieces still because um, I'm uh, always alternating between the two, but I'm definitely uh, learning to embrace more that lonely part of me and to uh, just not deny it and uh, face it. You feel lonely, you have to recognize it and you have to think about how you can change it, where it comes from and who you can talk to about it because it's really important to break that loneliness Otherwise, you can go really far in a downfall, and it can be really sad, really deep, and uh, it can end up badly. It didn't for me, but just you, you don't have to deny it. You have to feel it and to search for solutions, and there are solutions always.
Frederic wasn't the only one at our Montreal show to bring a piece of poetry. Mary is going to share a poem she wrote at age 12 when she says she was just on the cusp of the end of childhood and she was starting to learn some of the painful truths of life. This poem was published in an elementary literary collection, she says, much to her brother's amusement and her family's embarrassment. (laughs) This is a poem entitled, I Know. Please welcome Mary to our stage. I know. It's been bugging me. My dad smokes. He's been hiding it from me for almost 12 years. I see out my window as he pulls them out. Sometimes he sees me and hides them again. I see him step on them as I walk out the door. I tell him I know, he tells me a lie. I'm going to convince him, I know, before I turn 12 in 16 days. But will he tell me a lie like two years ago? Thank you. When I was a kid, I was really into the movie Ghostbusters. In fact, I was so into the movie Ghostbusters that I wrote a number of unauthorized sequels to that movie. In a similar vein, when Sam was a kid, she loved princesses. And so with the help of her mom, she wrote her very own princess book filled with princess stories. Some are entirely her own creations, but others, you could say Sam was inspired. Um, So this is my princess book, Um, author Sam, illustrated Samantha, me, (laughs) Um, and printed by Mommy. Once upon a time, in a deep blue sea, lived a mermaid named Ariel. (laughs) She was always wishing that she could be a human. Her father didn't want, because he thought humans were dangerous. And then she rescued a human from drowning, but her father was angry. So then she went to a big rock and cried. Her friend Sebastian singed her a mermaid song. The end. Um, Once upon a time, in a faraway land, there was a girl named Anita. She was so young that she couldn't even walk. Once upon a time, a dog was dressed up as an angel, and Anita thought that he was a real angel, and then he took off his clothes and she knew he was a real dog. (laughs) And they lived happily ever after. (laughs) The end. And then there's a side note, um, because of the picture, where it says, it made her sad that she saw the angel, because angels make her sad, because she thought that she lost her dog and the angel brought it to heaven. There's more. (laughs) It's a whole book. Um, Okay. Um, This is Princess Aurora. She loves to look at the sun because it looks like her favorite fruit, lemons. When she eats lemons, she thinks of her son. This is the end of her story. (laughs) 
Um, okay. And... Okay. Once upon a time in a faraway land, there was a girl named Snow White. Although she had, a, she had a mean queen, she worked very hard and tried to be cheerful. She wished that her dream would come true by marrying a prince from her love. Then a hunter tried to hurt Snow White, but he couldn't do it. So he said, run from the queen. And then she found a cottage that belonged to little dwarfs. And then the queen had an apple, and Snow White took a bite, so she was lying down on a glass bed. <laughs> Later, the prince kissed her, and she awoke, and they lived happily ever after. The end. Thank you. One of the most common themes that grown-ups read things they wrote as kids is young love. And our next reader, Lisa, brought a prime example of that. When she was 13, Lisa wrote two letters to her crush, a boy named Charlie. And the thing you need to know about these letters is that Lisa wrote them, but never sent them, which is why she has them to read this evening. Please welcome Lisa to the grown-ups read things they wrote as kids stage. Dear Charlie, I wanted to write this letter so I can express my feelings and remember some of the wonderful times I've spent with you this year because I never, ever want to forget them. I can barely remember, but I think the first time... But I think the first time I realized that you're an all right guy and really cute was the first ski club. You came and sat beside me on the bus. We listened to music together and you attempted to flirt with me, i.e. pinched my knee and tasered me. (laughs) At that time, I really only had a small crush on you and was starting to get to know you. I have known you ever since we were like in grade two and we were always kind of friends. Well, that first ski club was when I realized I officially like you. After that, each ski club got better and better because I got to spend so much time with you. If it wasn't for ski club, who knows if I ever would have ended up falling for you as hard as I did, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Every time that I look at you closely and our noses touch, I want to kiss you, dot, dot, dot. But I guess I don't want to startle you and I just don't have enough confidence to do it yet. Last of all, I want you to ask me out, and that's underlined. I've been waiting for so long. Summer will be over so soon, and then there's high school. There's really not much time left. You're running out. Well, maybe someday you'll read this and laugh or cry. I just want you to know you're my first true love. I will never forget the Charlie Clary that I fell in love with in grade eight, ever. And then I wrote another letter to him two weeks later. Dear Charlie, I wrote a poem for you. The poem is is titled, He. He loves to flirt with me and other girls. (laughs) 
he always expects me to run after him, but I don't. Okay, sometimes. <laughs> he is so cute and talented. He has no confidence or guts to ask me out. He will probably never actually build up the courage to ask me out. He'll regret it someday. <laughs> he is in love with me. I was in love with him. Charlie, it's been so long, and yet we haven't gotten much closer. <laughs> we, we haven't even told each other in person our true feelings. We haven't talked about anything serious in person or kissed. I'm not in love with you anymore. In high school, I'm going to move on. I hope you do too. Maybe in the future we'll see each other again and we can start from where we left off and progress, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I love you, Lisa, XOXO. I'll miss you. Thank you. Am I the only one who wants Lisa to be like at the bar later and look over and there's Charlie? <laughs> That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at La Sala Rosa in Montreal and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our associate producer is Olivia Nashmi, and our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. I would love to hear the things you wrote when you were a kid. We have upcoming live events in St. Albert, Calgary, Sudbury, Ottawa, Vancouver, Victoria, Peterborough, and beyond. For all of the details, visit our website, grownups.fm. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter, which is the first place we announce new live shows. Sign up, and we'll hope to see you soon. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.